0: Mackerel podcast number 363 for July 10th, 2013, brought to you by Smile Software, makers of PDF Pen 6 and PDF Pen Pro. Welcome to another Mackerel podcast. I'm Chris Breen. One of the not terribly well-kept secrets around our business is that when summer comes along, so too come stories related to summer travel. And we are no more immune to this trend than anybody else. However, that doesn't mean we'll offer up the same old, same old, hey, I took the family to the Grand Canyon and here's the gear I took with me story. No, this episode's guest is taking a very unique trip that requires a just as unique collection of gear. I'm joined by renowned writer, photographer, instructor, and world traveler Ben Long, who's going to talk about his summer vacation. Welcome Ben. Thanks Chris. Uh, So I hear you're going car camping in the next week or so.
1: I am going car camping as one does in the summertime. I'm loading up the car with a tent and some basic camping gear and uh, taking a drive. Really? Where are you going to go? Mongolia. Mongolia? Yes, Mongolia. Uh, More specifically, Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. I'll be leaving from uh, London. In fact, I'm flying to London this afternoon to go get in the car.
0: And drive to Mongolia.
1: And drive to Mongolia.
0: Okay, so I imagine for a trip like that, you're going to want to drive something pretty robust. So is it going to be a Range Rover or a Humvee or some 4x4? Or what are you driving?
1: Well, you're right. I mean, uh, you know, Mongolia lacks pavement of just about any kind and long before you get to mongolia there's still all of kazakhstan which is is definitely road challenged and then of course there's the distance itself this is going to be 10 to twelve thousand miles so you yeah ideally you want you want a nice capable vehicle um i'm driving a fiat panda as i recall i mean i'm not a
0: car expert but as i recall the fiat panda is something that would fit in my back pocket
1: pretty much yeah like i said ideally you want a very robust car. This is not going to be the the ideal car camping trip to Mongolia.
0: Okay, so one, you're limited in space. I think the what the engine is. How big is the engine in that thing?
1: It's a 1.2 liter engine. So that's uh, actually that's actually the size of the engine in my motorcycle, and this isn't a, a full on car.
0: Okay, so um, lack of room, tiny engine, uh, twelve thousand mile trip why are you doing this
1: we should mention the very small wheels
0: oh 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 that's right because uh well oh huh road challenge so you're going to be dealing with uh dirt roads bridges a lot of bridges there or
1: no not really just pretty much straight driving through rivers okay
0: small car (laughs) tiny wheels uh there's probably not a lot of clearance between the um the undercarriage and the road
1: I yeah, pretty uh, none. I think like a skateboard kind of clearance. <laughs> okay, so why are you doing this? Believe me, as as my flight departure approaches, I'm asking myself that question more and more. Um, the the technical explanation is that I'm doing this as part of a charity road, road rally called the Mongol Rally. It's put on by an organization of apparently insane people in England called the Adventurists. So the way this works is uh, we're we're raising money for a couple of charities. One is uh, Cool Earth, which is an organization that works to save rainforests that are within 18 months of total destruction. So we have to raise... A certain amount and, and i find this curious there's someone sitting around a forest going boy i really hope that our forest is within 18 months of total destruction because then we'll get some money but anyway we're we're raising money for this charity so the rules are very simple you can take any route that you want and uh different teams take wildly different routes you cannot take a car that's older than nine years old because we're going to leave the car in mongolia where it will be auctioned off and that money given to charity and Basically, the Mongolians don't want a bunch of chunker cars brought into the country. And then finally, you can't have an engine over 1.2 liters. So the entire conceit there is, is you're actually trying to make the trip impossible. I think only like 60 to 65 percent of the people who start actually make it to Ulan Bator. So there really are no rules. It's a completely unsupported race and it, or rally. It's not actually a race. There's no time limit. So uh, that's that's apparently why I'm doing this. Uh, so typically how long does it take to do this the adventurists say you can do it in as short as three weeks, but if you do that uh, you're, you're probably not having a particularly good time. We're, we're thinking somewhere between four to six
0: Okay, so you say we So how many people are going
1: uh, right now It's me and and one other person there was a third person uh, who had to drop out last week and originally We were going to take two cars, so we actually bought two fiat pandas And uh, that was going we did that for a couple of reasons one we figured well This is great if one car breaks down we can just pile into the other car and go get help or we can pull parts off Of off of each car also one of us who is not me is six foot seven So we decided there was no way we could comfortably fit three of us in a tiny little fiat for six weeks So now we got a actually if anyone out there wants to buy a fiat panda that I've got one for sale Uh, so six foot
0: seven uh, tiny car how is this person going to fit in the car do they have to like have their head out the window the whole time or
1: you know we don't know because we've never seen a fiat panda in person
0: you haven't seen the car
1: no it's it's in england i, I bought it remotely through a garage a, a mechanic there So, I've never actually seen a Fiat Panda. They don't sell them in the States.
0: Did you mention to the mechanic that you're planning to drive this thing 12,000 miles to Mongolia?
1: This is a garage that actually kind of offers this service of helping rallyers find rally cars. So, they went and checked it out and said, yeah, we think this car will make the trip. Uh, I noticed they're staying behind. But still, they said "This this car will make the trip. So, they're... There apparently has been some intelligent thought put into this process, none of it originating from me. Right,
0: okay, so um, how good a mechanic are
1: you? Well, you know, I have no mechanical skill at all. Uh, I mean, I can work a zip tie or some duct tape, but I've I've decided not to worry about that because my dad is actually very good with cars, and I I talked to him about it, and he said, you know, on a modern car, there's not that much you can fix anyway. Uh, You can't just carry a set of points anymore and get your car working again. It's all computerized. And I'm figuring that the, the things that are really likely to happen, you know, I don't know, a broken axle or a bent wheel or something, your mechanical skill isn't really the limitation there. It's the fact that you're in the middle of nowhere.
0: Okay. Um, so we understand the rules of the rally and um, we understand the charitable aspect of it. So, But personally, why are you doing this?
1: Um... It seemed like a good idea at the time actually when when we filled out that form online. Um, i I would uh, Mongolia is definitely changing I, I've been very intrigued by there's you know still a, a traditional nomadic population there, uh, but they've discovered gold mining in Mongolia over the last couple of years, and I think this is kind of the last chance to see the old Mongolia, or at least any kind of traditional life in Mongolia, and I'm very intrigued by that. I, I definitely like um, the less developed part of the world. Uh, I would put developed in quotation marks there. Uh, its uh, I, I always find that this kind of travel leads to really, really nice people and, and very interesting experiences. It's obviously a fantastic photographic opportunity. I think I also just want to know if I can do it.
0: Um, so what have you planned your route, or as you just go along, you say, I think we need to go east, and so that's where we're going?
1: Most people head straight east, uh, so they would go across, I have a map in front of me, uh, the Czech Republic and and uh, make their way into Russia and head across that way. We're going to go straight south through France and then cut across northern Italy, go down the Dalmatian coast of Croatia, and then we're going to hang a left at Montenegro. This is about the extent of the mapping I've I've done is, oh, here's Montenegro. I guess we go left. And so from there we go through, uh, I guess, Kosovo and Serbia through Bulgaria. We're going to then go down through Istanbul and do central Turkey. We wanted to drive up through Georgia, but apparently that's not really doable right now. So we're gonna ferry across the Black Sea into Russia. We go a bit across a little bit of Russia, then across all of Kazakhstan, back into Russia, and then dip down into the northern border of Mongolia.
0: Yeah, but you'll have a GPS with you, right? So no problem.
1: No, I'm not bothering because there's no mapping data that I can find for Mongolia or Kazakhstan, uh parts of Russia. It's interesting. If you go just go to, to Google Maps and look at Russia, it's just it's kind of a void. Uh, it's, it, there's just not mapping data or at least Google doesn't have access to any. So no, a GPS, yeah, it would get us through Europe. Okay. But that it's not hard to navigate through Europe. I don't know that a GPS would really help us that much on the difficult part. So I have a map and a compass.
0: Okay. Uh, what kind of signage do they have?
1: I don't know. Uh, I've, I've seen pictures online that there are signs. They are of course going to be in no language that I speak or read. And, and possibly not in an alphabet that I understand. Great.
0: Well, I think this sounds like you've totally got this uh, sewn up.
1: You know, I've been kind of busy with other things, so I haven't had a lot of time to put too much thought into it. I figure I can do that on the plane ride over.
0: Yeah. No, I think that, that's why most people plan these sorts of things. Um, so I'm sure that you have your AAA card with you. Given that you may be stranded quite literally in the middle of nowhere, what gear are you going to take with you to help you communicate and, frankly, survive?
1: Well, I you know, it's strange. I've, I've driven around rural Africa and rural Turkey and always been surprised to find that they have better cellular connectivity than we do here. I, I feel like it's everywhere. It's you know They skipped wires and went right to cell phones. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of counting on the idea that I'll have good cell coverage across most of the trip. Uh, I don't know about Kazakhstan and Mongolia. I have a Verizon iPhone which has an unlocked SIM slot in the side, so in theory I can just go there and get SIM cards as I go. I don't know that I could get a single SIM card that would give me coverage for the whole trip. I'm not too worried about having phone calls, I more just want data. So I also got a Verizon one of their MiFi hotspot things. So I'm hoping that if I've got cell coverage Uh, I've I've got a way of communicating that way. One cool thing about the Verizon gizmo is you can prepay for a certain amount of data. So I just bought 10 gigabytes of data. I figure for two of us, that's enough to attach a couple of iPads and a couple of phones. So that's what I'm thinking for internet access. I have a spot gizmo, which I can, I can press a button on and and it via satellite sends a predefined message to a predefined mailing list. So that's a way of at least letting a certain group of people know my latitude and longitude. In the States, the Spot gizmo can also summon search and rescue. I don't believe that works internationally. So Spot now makes a satellite phone that's kind of astonishingly cheap. It's 500 bucks for the phone, and the service plans are very, very inexpensive for satellite communication. And I've been thinking about getting one of those, but honestly, I'm not sure what I'd do with it. If my car breaks down... You know, okay. Well, I can call Chris and say my car is broken down in the middle of Mongolia. But what are you going to do? I don't know yet how useful that is.
0: Uh, I could I could offer my condolences.
1: Thank you. Yes, I would, I would at least get to say goodbye. <laughs> right. I've been thinking that. Well, okay. I could call you, and you could then you know research how to get help to me. But yeah, I, I feel like I should probably try that first. I should poke around and see uh, what you would actually be capable of doing. I did find a list of. 911 equivalents for every country in the world. Um, I don't know if that's a reliable search and rescue thing or not. So I've got, I've got uh, let's see, about seven hours left. I'm trying to make the satellite phone decision in that time. We'll be back with Ben
0: after a word from our sponsor, Smile Software. And that word is about PDF Pen 6 and PDF Pen Pro. As you're undoubtedly aware, We increasingly receive and create documents in the PDF format, and they're great for reading. But what do you do when you want to edit the things? You want to add signatures, text, and images, edit elements and correct typos, and export a PDF's content to Microsoft Word. Apple's preview barely makes a dent in this kind of thing, but PDF Pen gets the job done. And for $100, and that's just $40 more than PDF Pen 6, PDF Pen Pro, which Macworld awarded 4.5 mice, which is nearly perfect, offers even more features. With PDF Pen Pro, you can create PDFs for websites, which is great for archiving sites, marking them up, and creating handouts. You can create and edit tables of contents, which is, of course, helpful for document navigation. You can create and edit forms that work across platforms, you can add your own elements to existing pdf forms and you can set and edit document permissions that's a load of pdf power in a 100 dollar package to learn more about pdf pen travel to smilesoftware.com/mwpodcast that's smilesoftware.com/mwpodcast and now back to ben long and the mongol rally I also know you're going to be traveling light because you've got a very small car. You have very little room. So what else are you taking for day-to-day living? Is this really like a camping trip?
1: I'm, I'm thinking of it like a backpacking trip. Yes, we're traveling light yeah. both because there's limited space, but also we need to be able uh, – I mean, the, your, your bridges question was uh, was a good one. From what it looks like, there are a lot of water crossings in Mongolia that are that are bridge-free. Um so I think it's a lot of pushing and pulling and lifting the car out of sand and water and things like that. So we don't want it weighed down with too much. So yeah, I'm treating it like a backpacking trip. I've got a I've got my small one-person tent, a summer sleeping bag, uh, a camping stove. I have a I have one additional concern which is, you know, I'm heading into an area where people really enjoy eating sheep heads and, and other odd animal body parts. And, uh, you know, I've been a vegetarian since I was eight. So I'm taking a whole lot of backpacking food and a backpacking stove for the second half of the trip. So we've got all that. Um, and then it's just about the, you know, the other normal things you need, uh, uh how to power the gear. One, one question we have is we're not actually sure if there's a cigarette lighter adapter in the Fiat Panda or not, and that's been our main idea for how to power stuff. So <clears throat> if we get there and it doesn't have one of those, uh, we're thinking maybe we get a second car battery and some kind of inverter that can attach to that, and then we can just swap the car battery out every few days and charge our stuff up that way. So, yeah, mostly I'm just thinking of this as, a, as an ultralight backpacking trip.
0: Okay. Well, part of the idea of the rally is to live with the least impact on your surroundings. So what, you know, if somebody were to do this kind of trip, is there gear that they can carry that helps achieve this and also gives back something?
1: That's a good question. This is a charity road rally. So we're, we're trying to raise some money for some worthy causes. Also, I I always feel a little weird, you know, here we are coming from uh, an incredibly wealthy country. It is strange to go into Areas of great poverty, especially as a photographer, and basically exploit them, uh, mine them for for media. So, yeah, I always feel a little uncomfortable going in, and you know, you don't want to you don't want to go in and treat the locals like they're exhibits or animals in a mm-hmm. zoo or something. You want to try to be part of their world and, and not impact them too much. So I actually went, I thought, well, okay, as long as we're doing this to raise money for charity, are there, are there ways we can do it other than simple fundraising? Are there purchases that we can make or things like that? And it's interesting, if you start looking for this kind of stuff, you find that backpacking technology, uh, a lot of it is being appropriated for use in disaster relief and for um, third world, everyday living. Uh, For example, there's the BioLite camping stove, which is a very cool camp stove. It's a little large. You wouldn't want to normally use it for backpacking, but it runs basically on twigs. It's got an electric fan in it that you charge ahead of time through a USB port, and then you just put twigs or any other combustible in it, and basically the fan gives you an extremely efficient burn, and obviously you can, you know, as long as you're somewhere. Where there are twigs available, you've got a way of heating water. We, of course, will be driving across the Gobi Desert, so I don't know how much we're going to have in the way of twigs. But what's cool about the BioLite is it captures heat while it's burning and converts that to enough electricity that you can charge your iPhone off of it uh, or some other small device. So I actually now have a twig-powered iPhone. Um, they make larger versions specifically for use in the rural third world. I've been in remote villages in Africa before and always been shocked to find, you know, people living in huts with dirt floors, but they all have cell phones because they can go into the local village and go to the community center and charge their phones there. But with something like one of these biolight stoves, they actually have a way of generating electricity on their own, which is very cool. Um, some other things, uh, Lumen Aid makes a really cool kind of inflatable solar-powered pillow thing that's also a light source it makes a, a nice big diffuse light and if you order one for their from their website they will actually donate one to a disaster stricken area where people might need light so it, once you start looking for this stuff you'll find that there there are purchases you can make that will kind of continue your effort to either have, have low impact or actually give something back Obviously, energy consumption is another big one. Uh, SolarGadgetsUSA.com has a lot of, uh, boy, everything from solar-powered flashlights to chargers to so on and so forth. So that's a way you can at least go through an area not leaving batteries everywhere. Batteries often end up in local dumps where kids end up picking through the dumps for precious metals and get poisoned by that kind of thing. So being able to stay out of batteries is a good idea. Finally, you might check Are you using equipment that is made responsibly. I'm using a Big Agnes tent. And if you go to Big Agnes and read their kind of corporate policy, you find that they're very conscientious about the materials they use and their construction and, and the impact on the third world there.
0: So are you planning on leaving any of that stuff in Mongolia or are you going to take it all with you?
1: Um, that's a good question. I, I've been wanting to talk to the adventurists about can you can you donate gear along with the car? I'm not sure. Uh, We we may never make it to Mongolia. So uh, that part's up in the air also.
0: So let's say you do make it to Mongolia. What then?
1: Uh, I don't know. Uh, I have to get home uh, and I'll no longer have a car. So, you know, it's really weird. I keep buying these one-way plane tickets, which just feels strange. Um, We've been thinking, you know, we could pick up another car and just keep going east until we run into ocean again and then fly home from there. Uh, Obviously, we can just fly home. I'm also a little intrigued by the Trans-Siberian Railway, which would take uh, go from Ulaanbaatar back to Moscow, I believe. It might be by that point we're real tired of traveling.
0: I take it you've got all your papers and your all the necessary paperwork you need to cross borders and that sort of thing?
1: Everything but that Russian visa, yeah. Here's something that people may not know. You can have more than one U.S. passport, so if you are like me. Finding yourself at the last minute having to get several visas. And actually as Americans, it's interesting. for this whole trip, I only need two. I need one for Kazakhstan and one for Russia. Actually, as Americans, you need a visa for any stand. Uh, but the way we're going, we're only going to go through one stand. And uh, you have to mail your visa off to a visa ser- or I'm sorry, you have to mail your passport off to a visa service to get these things. So I got a second passport. So I can, I've can sent one off to the Russian embassy, and I can use the other one to travel on while I wait. Or if you were maybe a little uh, farther ahead of the game than I am, you could send one off to get your Russian visa and the other off to get your Kazakhstan visa. And these second passports, um, they cost about the same as a normal passport, and they're only good for two years. But they're a great way of of managing the difficulty of if you're needing multiple visas, having to send your passport around. They're also good if you're going to be traveling to countries that don't get along with each other. So, for example, you could have, a, if you're going to Israel, you could use one passport for that. If you're going to Egypt, you could use another one for that, and no one would have to know where you'd been.
0: Right. So so let's say your Russian paperwork doesn't come through. Is there any way to get to Mongolia without hitting Russia somewhere along the line?
1: Absolutely. I can drive right through Iran. <laughs> uh, huh. I- you know, you don't need a visa there. You just tell people you're backpacking.
0: Oh, perfect. and And you raise your hand, and say, "I'm an American and uh, and d- don't bother looking at all the gear I have in my car.
1: Oh, these little helmet cameras, they don't mean anything. Yeah, Just passing through. right. The other option is you can ferry across the Caspian Sea. Uh, I don't remember what it was. When I looked into that, I think it was there was complication that I don't know, there was some reason I couldn't do that, or it was prone to sinking or something like that. I don't know I remember there was some reason I decided that was a bad idea.
0: Right. Okay. Well, good. It sounds like you've got everything tied up in a nice, tidy little package topped with a bow.
1: Um, Key in a a situation like this.
0: Yes, as I can tell. Um, Is there going to be any way for people to keep up with what you're doing? Are you going to blog this or take pictures or are you pretty much just doing the adventure?
1: I have no idea because to have prepared a blog of some kind would have meant that I had done some preparation. So Ah. um, I'm... I Honestly, I just don't know. Some of the blog entries I've read about from people who have done this before say, at least in the back half of the trip, you know, you need to be, need to be prepared that at the end of the day, you're really tired. Um, you might have grand ideas about, yes, at the end of the day, we'll swap stories around the fire and I will prepare my blog and whatnot, but you've been lifting a car out of muck all day long. So a lot of people say you're just so physically exhausted, you just make dinner and pass out. So I... I'm thinking I'll play that by ear. I'm going to have a lot of time just sitting in a car, so uh, maybe I'll think about getting that set up as I go. If I do, I'll I'll let you know, and you can put the word out. I will,
0: and also I expect, you know, I think we have a, a very large Mongolian listenership. Uh, okay, excellent. <laughs> so uh, if there are any vegetarian Mongolians out there listening now, um, you know, even if you're part of a horde, because I understand Mongolia's travel in hordes, uh, but please, if there are any vegetarians among you, uh, let me know, and I'll pass the word along to Ben. Um, I'm sure that he would love to uh, partake of your sheephead, but, um, you know, I hear it tastes like broccoli.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that, that makes all the difference.
0: Um, also, is there anything people can do if they want to help contribute to the causes that are... Um, that are part of that are being supported by the rally. Uh,
1: yes, there is a way that you can donate and we would really appreciate it. And again, it's this is going to a very good cause. Uh we're we're raising money for two different charities, Cool Earth and Mercy Corps. I have a I have a link here for Mercy Corps and I you can put that in the show notes or something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great. Okay, well, uh, I think with um with all the preparation you've done, the ease of this journey, uh the kind of equipment you're bringing and um, and the food, yeah, and the beneficence of the uh, of the countries you'll be visiting. I think this is going to go really, really smoothly. And um, I expect to see you back here in about three weeks, and we'll uh, we'll check in with you then.
1: Fantastic, yeah. I'm thinking it's just you know I'm taking a drive.
0: Yeah, no, you are taking a drive. You're absolutely taking a drive. <laughs> well, really, honestly, best of luck with this. I think this sounds like a really amazing trip, and um, I'm slightly jealous, but but not so much that I'd actually join you. <laughs>
1: I'll send you some pictures guaranteed to not make you jealous.
0: Oh, perfect. Uh, Yeah, show me. I want to see you knee-deep in the muck, um, moving your car somewhere as as passers-by on camels look at you and just shake their heads.
1: Exactly, yeah, eating sheep's heads. So, yeah, I'll get you all the media like that that I can come up with.
0: Excellent. Thanks very much. And thanks for being here, Ben.
1: Well, thank you very much, Chris. And
0: that wraps up this edition of the Mackerel Podcast. I'd like to thank Smile Software and its PDF Pen 6 and PDF Pen Pro for sponsoring this episode, Ben Long, and, of course, you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to drop us a line at podcast at macwell.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 415-967-3622. This is Chris Breen reminding you that you can find more Apple, macOS, iOS, and technology news, views, and information at macwell.com. See you around.